So clearly I'm not Dr. Joe. And so you can take your bulletins and put them away because I uh, will not be using his sermon notes. So uh, Dr. Joe got a a call yesterday that his mom had to go to the emergency room and he uh, decided that he needed to be there with her, which we of course support and, and want him to be there. So, um, he, he got there, they're running some more tests this morning, but he, he is with, with his mom. So we, we want to, to pray for him and his family right now before we jump into God's word together. So let's pray. Our gracious father, we know that your shoulders are big enough and your wisdom is rich and deep enough and your love is extravagant and overflowing. So we pray for for Dr. Joe right now and PJ as they minister to his family. We pray for the doctors as they minister to his mom, that you would just help them to have a wisdom, help them to see the big picture, help them to to figure out exactly what's happening and and to get her her, um, in a state of comfort. But Father, we pray that through each step of this, as, as we have your children there, ministering in a hospital and, and two doctors, not just receiving care from the doctors, that you would get the glory, that you go before them and, and will be with them. And Father, that you are at work for their good in each step of it. So we trust you. We trust that for Dr. Joe and his family away, and we trust that for us here, that you will lead us this morning as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how do you know when God is speaking to you? How do you know if you get a call right now, there's, there's a family situation and do I, is God calling me to go drive or fly to, across the country or is God calling me to stay here and do my responsibilities as a pastor? Or if you get a call at eight o'clock the night before and you think, oh God, you're going to have to show me what you're saying here to get up uh, 12 hours later and, and, and preach and preach the word. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Is it a feeling in your gut? It's just a feeling that won't go away. Is it a stronger than normal desire that you can't stop thinking about? Is it your wife saying, do it? Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. Or is it, if you've been watching some of pop culture this weekend, is it a is it a hip-hop mogul superstar who goes from self-promoting and cussing every other word in his albums to singing about Jesus and Chick-fil-A? Like, that's happened this weekend. So if you know what I'm talking about, fantastic. If, if I don't, then fantastic. But um, but how did, is God speaking through Kanye West? Like, how do you know? I'm serious. It's be, his album has better theology than a lot of Caleb. I mean, it's it's interesting. So we'll... we'll, we'll, we'll uh, We'll leave it there. I'm going to get myself in trouble. This is live streamed. So Dr. Joe is in the hospital with his mom and you are not to speak to him. No. Uh, But how do you know? It's it's silly, but how do you know if, if someone like that is speaking with God's voice? How do you know if God is speaking to you? What we're going to look at this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it's not going to be on the screens because, like I said, we didn't know this was coming, but the Lord did. So it's not in your bulletin. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're a phone Bible person, you can open your app. 
But we're going to just walk through this passage and we're going to apply it to our lives. And it's just really simple. We have one simple thing this morning. God speaks. Listen. God speaks. Listen. So we begin in 1 Samuel chapter 3 with verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So we come to this account of Samuel's life. And we need to set the context before we jump in to the particulars of what happens here. We start with Samuel. He's ministering to the Lord. So what does that mean? What, what it means is Samuel, we don't know exactly how old he was. Some scholars think maybe 11, 12. So like some of these guys that were up here singing earlier, this is, this is a good picture of, of, of uh, the girls too, same age, but picturing the two guys over there, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. So that's what Samuel looks like during this account. So his mother was unable to have children and she prayed and prayed and God allowed her to have a child. And she said, if you give me a child, we're going to dedicate him to the Lord and serving the Lord. So as soon as he was able not to live with mom as a, as a really, really little one, uh, he was sent to the temple to start serving and ministering in the temple. He would grow up to be the last judge of Israel and one of the Old Testament Israel's greatest prophets. But he's here very early in his journey. And he's there with a priest named Eli. He's an old priest uh, who had been there a long time before Samuel got there. And what Eli is known for especially is he had two sons who were just complete disasters. They were serving as priests, but they were taking advantage of people. They were, they were using it to, to, to uh, make money for themselves, for their own comfort, for their own advantage. And... God had told him to get them to stop, get them under control, and he hadn't. So, so Eli was a, was a priest who'd done an okay job as a priest, but his entire family was bringing shame upon the priests who were, who, who were there and doing ministry. And at this time, it says at the end of verse 1, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. So, it had, so God had spoken in the past He'd given a vision in the past frequently, but it hadn't happened lately. So to try to make that accessible for us here, it's kind of like Carolina football. It had been decent in the past, but recently there's been nothing. Hey, we could talk about NC State basketball here too. So just don't laugh too hard. So there's, there's rumors and there's legend that once upon a time, there's a lore that they were, that they were worth talking about, that there was something there. Now it's just whispers and, oh, we're excited that we beat Duke. I mean, if that's the definition of your program in football, then I'm sorry. But you get what I'm saying, that that they're talking about something that was way in the past, but they don't have this active time where they see God speaking. They they see, they're getting a word from him. They're, They're hearing him speak in their lives. And that's the context that we come into in verse two. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So there's a lot more context things going on. We're going to set up a few more things before we jump into the main storyline. First, Eli is old. 
he's losing his sight and he's gone to bed. Like, so he's laying in bed. So, um, this is kind of, it's, it's what's actually happening, but I think it's also on a spiritual metaphor level of what's happening with Eli. Um, he's, he's losing his sight. Um, he's, he's gone to bed. Like he's, 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 he's basically mailed it in. He's starting to stop seeing the things of, of God. He's, he's not, he's not clicking the way that it was. And also this whole little section is metaphorical because it talks about the lamp of God had not gone out. So Eli is dimming, but God's lamp hasn't gone out and Samuel's really close to it. So you see a physical representation of what's happening spiritually here. When it says the lamp has not gone, gone out, probably what it is, it's, it's the early, it's the early, early hours of pre-dawn darkness. So it's not really late at night. It's more like really early in the morning. And Samuel's job had been to go and tend the lamp, the ark overnight. So there's no child labor laws. Go stick the 10 year old kid, let him stay up all night and make sure everything is good while the adults sleep. So that's, that's what was happening. So this is where he was, he was serving and ministering as, as the law of Moses had said, this is how you care for the ark. Now it's not exactly a temple because the temple hasn't been built yet, but it's the place where God's presence is because this ark, again, I always have to say it when we're talking about this ark, it's not Noah's ark. It's not big, full of animals. It's, it's little fits, fits about here. It's not the one from Indiana Jones, but it would have looked like that. Um, none of that is in the Bible. So, but there, so he's not in danger of having his face melted off, but he's there with the ark and, and he, and God's presence is there in a real way. God has chosen in the old Testament. Now as, as believers, if we have trusted Jesus as our savior at that moment, God's presence, his Holy spirit comes and dwells in us. But in the Old Testament, before God's plan of salvation is accomplished in Jesus and he's poured out the spirit on his church, um, he, tie, he chose to tie his presence to where the ark was. So that's why it's a big deal. God's presence is in a real sense there. And Samuel is caring for, uh, caring, caring for that place where God's presence is. And then we hit a cycle that goes over and over and over. Because the World Series is going on, you could think of them as innings. I haven't watched any of the World Series, so I don't even, I don't even know. I asked someone what the, what the score, what, I don't, the, the games were, and I, they didn't know either. So, but you can think of this as the first inning of the account. Um, it goes through cycles. It goes through cycles. So we come to the first inning or the first cycle of then. We have Samuel, we have Eli, and we have the Lord. So let's look in verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am and ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call lie down again. So he went and lay down. So we have a pattern here, a cycle that is going to come over and over. First, God speaks to Samuel. Samuel hears God and and let's be kind to Samuel here. So if you, if it were like 3 a.m. and you hear a voice, you're not going to assume either if someone says Kevin or Samuel, I'm going to think it's one of my kids. Like, I'm not going to think, oh, God is speaking to me. Like, that's not what would go through my mind either. So it didn't go through Samuel's mind. So he hears a voice in the middle of the, the middle of the night, Samuel. So he assumes, oh, it's Eli. So he, he gets up and he runs over. So God speaks to Samuel. Samuel runs to Eli, says, what do you need? And Eli's like, why did you wake me up? Go back to bed. So that's what happens. So that's the first inning. The second inning, the second cycle, it goes very similarly. Verse six, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, 
I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So it's the exact same pattern. Samuel, God speaks to Samuel. Samuel runs to Eli, says, hey, I'm here. Eli says, I don't know what you're talking about. Go back to sleep. And as a dad of an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old, I can see like, this pattern of repeating things over and over and over. I can immediately relate. Um, by the way, I, I get to do this because, again, I've already... I've already ruined it from the beginning, but today is my seven-year-old's birthday. So you can tell him happy birthday, by the way. So happy birthday, Jude. Um, so anyway, as a dad of an 11 and a nine and a seven-year-old, I know this repeating pattern where it goes, you, you repeat it, nothing happens. You repeat it, nothing happens, but it's not, I think it's different here. Samuel is listening. He hears God. He just has no idea. He doesn't even have a category that God could be speaking to me. So he's doing his best with it, but he, it's, it's like me telling my seven-year-old to go pull the car around and we'll jump in. Like he, that would, we'd, he, he's trying, but we'd have an expensive bill on my car and several of yours probably on the way. But um, he's trying, but he's completely clueless. And get this, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. And, his, and the, the, war, the, the Lord's word has not yet been revealed to Samuel. So he's working and living in the temple area with a priest daily. His entire life revolves around taking care of the ark and serving there with the priests. And he doesn't know the Lord. We spiritualize and we think, oh, and we think through it different ways. But it's the equivalent of like, he's the new reception person. And just because he's in the building with the CEO, he doesn't. Like, has no, this person that was hired last week doesn't know the CEO. And that's kind of the distance. That's, even though Samuel's there and his life revolves around God and the things of God, there's no, there's no close connection. So we come to the third inning, the third cycle. In verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again, the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The pattern starts the same way again. God speaks. Samuel goes to Eli, says, here I am. But Eli's sight is dimming, but he's not blind yet. He's perceived that God is doing something here. He's finally, third time, this is not Samuel getting it, third time for the priest to get it. He per, he's perceived that something's going on. So then he has to explain to Samuel what's happening. Maybe God's talking to you. What to do? If God speaks, you answer him. Don't answer me. Fourth inning, fourth cycle. Verse 10. Samuel's gone and laid back down. And the Lord came. And stood, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Okay, we don't use that terminology, like, like your ears tingle. I don't think anyone has said that to you lately. Um, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. So it would be something along the lines of, hold on tight. Buckle your seatbelt, 
Or if you're in, uh, if Dr. Joe were here and it, with Bubba, it would be, hey, y'all watch this. You know, that kind of, that kind of moment. And by the way, my family, we really do have an Uncle Bubba. So Brandon legitimately has an uncle named Bubba. So when Joe makes fun of those things, like we're actually picturing like the, a real person. So anyway, um, you know, you never, you never know. But so, and if you're around a Bubba like figure and he says, Hey, y'all watch this, it's, it's time, like something's about to happen. So I can say that from personal experience. Um, but he said, I'm about to tell you something that's going to make your ears tingle. So what is it? It's not something that Samuel's going to want to hear. Like, okay, God's speaking and it's going to, and you're, you're going to, it's going to, you're on edge and this is happening in the middle of the night. And this is the fourth time God's got the message across, but then he speaks and it's, oh, wow. Oh, verse 12, ears tingling on that day. I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, the sin that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Sin's not going to get covered over by sheep and goats and cows and their death. Remember the whole Old Testament system, it's a foreshadowing. No one's saved by the, by the sacrifice of a lamb or a cow. It's pointing ahead to Jesus' sacrifice. So uh, he's saying no more. So God finally speaks. He gets Samuel's attention. Eli has helped Samuel to understand what God's saying. And God speaks judgment. God speaks doom on Eli. Now, it seems like a plot twist if you jump into chapter three, like where we jumped into, but this is an aside. This isn't where we're going for hearing God speak, but side note, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible in context. When you get a verse, look what comes before it and what comes after. If you want to hear God clearly, the verse we started reading in three, one, if you go back just one verse, this is not a plot twist. If you read the Bible in, in context, all of chapter two, it said, this is coming. This is coming. This is coming. Eli's sons are bad. Eli was warned. He doesn't change his pattern. They don't change their pattern. So judgment is coming. So when we get to this pronouncement in chapter three, this is just a few verses later. They didn't come back the next week to hear it. This is just a continuation of, of the account. Um, it's expected. It's not a matter of if things are going to happen to Eli's family. It's when. So when we read, when we read it in context, when we hear God speak that way, we know, we know what's coming. So Samuel gets this pronouncement of doom on Eli. And then we go to, first, to verse 15. He, uh, here, here's here's a, a hint. He didn't fall back asleep after this. He hears this. Verse 15, Samuel lay awake until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. So this is like the fifth inning. This is like fifth cycle. Same thing again. And Eli said, what is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Okay. So when Samuel hears, he can't just settle back in. 
There's no normal routine, no pretending that didn't happen. He, when it says he opened the doors, that means his vigil overnight was done. It's daylight. Everyone else is waking up. He's coming out from having tended the lamp, the ark, all night. If you were Samuel, fourth, fifth, sixth grade guy, how would you feel about telling this news to Eli? Because you can't pretend it didn't happen because like Eli was there and he kept running to Eli. So you've tipped Eli off that something's going on and Eli is going to ask about it. This is a boy who's serving a priest daily, someone that he thinks is close to God, someone who's become like a grandfather figure for him. So he comes and Samuel, you got to picture it's like that, that slow walk to the principal's office. Like, this isn't happening. I don't want to do this. Like, he's going there. And Eli, it says he basically he has to threaten him. Like, you're going to tell me what God said. I want to know what God said. This is extremely awkward. But the message is going to get to Eli. Why couldn't God have just told it to Eli? Eli's the priest. But God does it this way to get the message to Eli and to prepare this young boy, Samuel, for more future, awkward, intense conversations when he speaks on God's behalf. It's not easy. So then in verse 18, Eli receives it. Verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, and Eli said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. The message is passed on. And Eli recognizes that the time has come. He doesn't fight God. He receives it. And then we get at the end of the chapter, we're closing, we're closing the parentheses. You see, it started off with Samuel as a boy and God being quiet, not speaking, not giving vision. And it ends with Samuel as a prophet and God speaking. So that we've come, we've come a, a big transition during these verses. So last few, verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew, what Sam, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So this is actually... It, when the, when the gospels talk about Jesus, you know, there's one passage of, of, they talk about him all the time, but there's one passage when, uh, when he's a young boy and he goes to the temple and it starts off with Jesus as a boy. And then he has this encounter with the priests and the religious leaders and Mary and Joseph lose him. And then all of a sudden it fast forwards and he's a man. This is, so when that account of Jesus is happening and it kind of skips over his whole middle years, he goes from a boy about this age to an adult Jesus. It's echoing what the way that, that Samuel's story is told that, that Samuel starts as a boy. And then fast forward as this happens, as he's walking with God, serving him in the temple, be, becoming his mouthpiece, becoming his prophet. And now, he, now, now there he is. He's ready to step out into his ministry. So it's, it's, an, it's an echo. It's, a, it's pointing ahead to the way that God would work in Jesus' life. And at the end, all of Israel, everyone in the nation knew that Samuel was established as God's prophet. Now, Again, when we hear the word prophet, we generally think of someone speaking the future. And here, Samuel told Eli what his future would bring. But it's not someone who predicts the future. It's someone who speaks on God's behalf. So Samuel is established as God's voice, as his mouthpiece. You want to know what God says? Samuel's going to tell you. And the Lord has appeared again, and he's revealing himself again. So what? 
So this was an interesting story about Samuel, but what does it mean for us? Why are we reading this in Greensboro, North Carolina this morning? And I think first of all, before we jump to how it applies to our life, it's important to slow down and not make it about us. Because what's happening here in this account, it's, un, it's an important piece in the unfolding of God's plan of redemption that would come about through Jesus and be gifted to us. You see, at the beginning of the Bible, people rebelled, they fell into sin, and God promised that he would make a way through the seed of the woman who would defeat the seed of the serpent. And then he, he narrowed in that promise to Abraham and Isaac, to Jacob. He raised up Moses as a prophet and moved it forward. And then he raised up Samuel who's going to be the one that anoints David, who's going to be the one who's going to be the direct descendant of Jesus. So this account, it means primarily that God's plan of salvation is going to be accomplished. So it isn't primarily about us and for us to get principles out of it. It's to know that God is faithful and that he is bringing about redemption in Jesus and that we find his faithfulness there ultimately in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So, so before we just jump over that and apply it straight to us, I just wanted to slow down and say it and also remind us that as we apply particulars, we're looking back through the cross. What Samuel and Eli couldn't dream to hope for about what God would do one day, we now look back on and know what God did. So as we talk about how we as Christians hear God speaking, it's not, it's not going to be exactly the same way. We look back through the completed work of Jesus on it. But with those two things said, so what? What, does, what are some tangible ways we can apply God's word in lots of different ways? But how can we take it into our week? Specifically, what's it look like when we don't listen? Why do, why do we, if God speaks, why don't we hear him. I think even, I think sometimes we try to listen, but we don't listen. So why not? We don't listen. We don't hear. First of all, because we don't know what's happening. Just like Samuel. I think some of us are in here this morning, starving to hear from God, starving for him to speak to us. And you're longing. I wish I could hear a voice just like that. We're searching our feelings. We're searching for signs and miracles and displays. But you and I have something that the believers of old could only vaguely hope for. Remember, most of you over here that I work with in student land, um, you don't have a clue who I'm about to talk about. But um, there's a guy guy named Popeye the Sailor Man. So, So they don't... So it make you feel really old. They don't know who I'm talking about. Um, so I can't use this in, in, in the youth group, but I can use it in here. So Popeye the Sailor Man, he gets superpowers if he eats what? Spinach. So maybe some of you did know. I don't know. So, so he gets superpowers if he eats spinach. So um, if he eats the spinach, he gets, he, he gets muscles, he, he, he gets everything, and, and he wins. What if, what if Popeye was surrounded by cans of spinach, but all he knew to look for were spinach plants. He would be frustrated and think he was powerless and not hearing from the spinach. Not that spinach would talk, but you get the analogy. It breaks down. We are searching for feelings and signs and dreams and visions. But Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one has said, we don't have to go plant a plant, water it, wash it off. Hope the bugs don't eat it. Pluck it. I don't know. We just, we just open up the can and it's there. Hebrews 1, 
Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. So how do you know what God's voice sounds like? How do you know that God's speaking? Because God's word took on flesh and walked among us and we beheld him and we recorded his glory. Jesus' followers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, recorded the word in flesh and they wrote it down for us. You have something that Samuel couldn't dream of having. So when we listen to God, we look to Jesus and God's trustworthy word about him. When we look to God speaking into our lives, we don't start with our circumstances and our feelings. We start with what he's already said. This is where God speaks to us and we don't hear him because we don't know what's happening. We don't start with what God has already spoken to us. So we don't hear him because we don't know what's happening. We also don't hear him because physical proximity is not enough. Just being around the church and Christians is not enough. Samuel, Eli, Eli's sons too. They devoted daily their lives to serving God, but they never heard from him. And we can fall into that exact same trap. Teaching a life journey group, giving attending every time the doors open, serving in lots of different places. But do we know him? Do we know his voice and expect him to be speaking into our lives? We don't listen because it's so far. We just think if we just get around it, it's enough. But it's not. And we don't hear him because we haven't been taught the basics. And as a youth pastor, what a chilling thing. Because I look at Eli, and I look at Samuel, and God is speaking to Samuel, who Eli has charged, has charged Samuel to him. How is it possible that Eli hasn't taught young Samuel how to hear from God or to know God or his word? See, I think it's too easy in church to assume too much. Instead of slowing down and being explicit and detailed and step-by-step with our kids and our grandkids, we just want to just, okay, they'll get it. They're around it. They'll, They'll pick it up. We have to slow down and look at the basics of just be still. And if God speaks to you, talk back. Like, listen and be aware. Because it's easy to look at a younger generation and get frustrated with they're different here, they're different there. But if a younger generation is lost and clueless about the things of God, then our hands aren't clean. Because we have been put in their lives to teach them, to model for them. And I say this as a youth pastor, and I say this, don't trust me or Arvel or Dr. Joe. You see, your words as a parent or grandparent are so much more powerful. Do it yourself. Pour into them. Don't skip over it and assume someone else is going to do it. We don't hear from God because we just don't know the basics of hearing for God. So those are the ways that we don't hear him. But when we do hear him, when we do hear him, when God speaks, we can't control what he says. 
Sometimes we don't even like what he says. Samuel, I don't think, was thrilled with God for giving him this message to give to Eli. But God judges and punishes sin. And that the word of God is always going to be that we can't live however seems right to us. It's not try harder to be better. It's because Jesus has offered himself as the payment for our sins at his own expense. We can't just look at that and shrug and go about our lives. It matters and there's a consequence for it. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, it means that you and I are helpless and worthless and not good enough on our own. That's why Jesus had to die on a cross. See, if he didn't need to do that, it's kind of silly that he would. It's not just an example. We needed him to do that, which means we have a problem. And that's not easy to receive. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. Stupidity to the people around us in America. So when God speaks, sometimes don't we wish we could control what he said? Don't we wish we could make it a little bit more palatable? But guess what? When God speaks, it's hard enough on its own. We don't need to add our sinful obstacles in front of it. At the same time, it's hard enough on its own. It's strong enough on its own. It does, God's word doesn't need our protection either. It goes forward and he speaks. But when he does speak, it must be shared. You see, Samuel feels your fears and my fears. When we think about God saying, go tell this person. Samuel, in this case, everything, when God told him to give this message to Eli... Any excuse that you and I have ever made about not talking about God, it's here. I mean, if Samuel goes at the priest and the priest gets mad, he loses his job. He loses his home. He loses this grandfather role model figure who he's come to love and has raised him. So when God sends Samuel in with this job to speak to Eli, Samuel has to feel the weight of it. But you see, God's word is Eli's only hope. And when God sends Samuel in to speak the truth of God's word into his life, to hear God's word and then act on it, Samuel's Samuel's obedience changes the course of all of Israel through walking through this hard thing. So when God speaks, we can't control him. When God speaks, we we must listen and speak about it. And when God speaks, it's always good. When God speaks, it is always good that the God of the universe is speaking to you. See, that's why we're here to help each other with that. That God is speaking to us. Eli is tragic. He's one of the most tragic figures in the Bible to me. He's this mixture of good and bad. He's not, he's not black and white. For all his failures, he hears from God and points Samuel down the path. For all his sins and the things he doesn't address, he clings to God in the midst of the bad news of his own doom that's coming from God's hand. Because God cared enough about Eli to speak to him in the hour of his own judgment. So whenever God speaks to us, can we say with Eli, it's the Lord, let him do what seems good him. So what do we do with that? As Terry and the, and the team come back up, as pastors and deacons come forward, 
want to challenge you in a couple of specific ways. If you want to know better what God says, the best way to do that is to jump into a life journey group or a D group. We have communities all over Lawndale that help you get settled into God's word. And it's not just you and God, it's you and God and it's you and, and other Christians. You don't just need the Bible. You need these other Christians to not knock you in the back of the head sometimes to help you say, no, that's not what it means. No, that's not, that's not it. We need, we need each other. So this morning, as we have a time of response, number one, maybe you need to just talk to God about getting to know what he says better. Maybe this morning you just need to listen. You know that he's been speaking to you and you've been tap dancing around it left and right and upside down and everything around it, but not listening. So maybe this morning you don't need to stand up. You don't need to sing. You just need to sit and be still and listen to what God's telling Because you already know what it is. And it will always... Whatever he tells you, it's always going to match up to this. No, there's no feeling, no circumstance, no, no dispensation, no provision he's going to give you. His voice is always going to line up with his word because it's the same spirit, the same God. So maybe it's just to slow down and listen to him. Maybe it's to step forward and say, you know, I need a church like that. It's going to root, help me be rooted in God's word. Remind me to listen to him. If you want to come and and join Lawndale this morning, we would love to start you on that membership process. So however you need to use these next moments of responding to the God who speaks, whether it's talking back, the reason we sing these words is sometimes you don't have the words. So these words, we're trying to give you some words to say back and start the conversation. So maybe it's talking back, maybe it's just listening. But if you're in here today, and you don't know Jesus personally, I beg of you, don't just try something new to do. Get to know him, the one who speaks. And any of us us up here at the front would love to get you connected on that path on that journey this morning. So we we give God these moments. We ask the spirit to lead us as we worship him in response.